You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the pick is in. I was so close in my prediction. I had it as my second most likely scenario, I believe. But the Green Bay Packers did select edge rusher Lucas Van Ness. So, well, first of all, before we get into it, uh, I just want to say thank you very much to everybody that joined our live stream. That was a lot of fun. We had a blast. It's um, It gets a little ridiculous. Clayton does his best to keep us on track and talk ball, but it gets a little off the rails constantly. But it's fun. Also, thank you guys very much to everybody that uh, bought the Thomas Austin apparel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, again, you missed the party, man. But we have a new t-shirt. And uh, with that design, it also has a lot of other things that you can buy. But um, you can get some Thomas Austin boxers, socks, training bra, or sports bra, whatever. I don't know what the things are. Apron, shower curtain, you know, the usual stuff uh, with Thomas Austin's face on it. But uh, thank you guys very much for that. But look, let's, let's, it, it's not just a, a bragging thing, right? Oh, they're showing the Lucas Van Ness thing on the TV right now, which is dope. It's his brother hugging him or something. But look, why did I say the Packers would pick an edge rusher? When Brian Gutekunst was asked, what positions does he like, he immediately says edge rusher. And then he has to think, and he says, uh, tight end and some other stuff. Keep an eye on that tomorrow, I guess. But the point is, if the draft talent is at edge rusher, that's where the talent is. Gutekunst wisely likes to go where the talent is, right? If you look at what is this draft producing, right? The year we got Rashawn Gary, it was loaded with edge rushers. The year we got uh, um, Jordan Love, great quarterback class. He likes to take what the draft is giving us because the point is there's going to be more talent in those positions, just necessarily. If there's only one good tackle, the tackles are going to go early and often, and teams are going to start reaching for tackles. They're going to start. It, it has negative value. You're at pick ten. You're going to take the tackle that's at pick fifteen because there's just no tackles, and we need one. Gutekunst isn't going to do that though. He's going to look at edge rusher where it's loaded, and you're going to have teams taking edge rushers, but they're not taking them as fast as their as the, the the board would dictate because it's just there's just too many of them. So the point is the value falls. So you know. We had a participant on the live stream that dropped out because he was so angry at the situation. He got mad that, you know, we're not going offense and helping Jordan Love. By the way, that was another reason why I thought we were going edge rusher because in the press conference when he was asked, do you think you need to help out Jordan Love? He immediately dismissed the fact that he has to go offense and that defense is also important because you're building for the... uh, Because he probably knew... There's a very good chance we're getting an edge rusher here. They're doing their own internal mock drafts and everything else. They, they know how this is falling. They know they're, at the very least, probably going defense. So when somebody says, do you have to go offense, he immediately is like, ah, da 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 Let's just nip that in the bud right now. But again, the point is, look at where the wide receivers went. 
this is not a good wide receiver class, at least not at the top end. And so, yeah, you, you could, if, if you look for need, you could take Jackson Smith and Jigba, but the point is every single, for the most part, as far as I could tell, every single team felt that the wide receivers at best were back of the first round guys. And so it's a complete waste of pick 13 to take a player whose talent is at about pick 22. You're just forfeiting value. And so I don't think it's a matter of, of you know, malice or Gutekunst just says, nah, screw the offense, I'm all about defense. It's just what the draft gave us. It's, it's actually just best player available. And so, again, when, when I predicted and I said I'm very confident we're going edge rusher, that's the reason why. Because they're going to go where the value is. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know where the value was, according to the Packers, but Gutekunst told us. So, again... The process, in my opinion, is correct. The only question is, was the evaluation correct? Is it loaded with edge rushers, or is this, is this crop going to be a bunch of garbage? Maybe Van Ness is no good. I don't know. Nobody knows. We, we have no idea. But Gutekunst was enamored with the guy. So um, let's go through a little bit about it. We already went through it, but let's go in-depth for Lucas Van Ness to get to know the guy. And obviously, I'm going to have to go back in tomorrow and just hammer it. You know, I, I probably watched a game, maybe two, and it was a long time ago. We're watching all the games, and we're going to sit there and we're going to watch. But six foot five, 272, right? That is premium in terms of exactly what the Packers like. He's from Barrington, Illinois. He's 21.8 years old, so he's still 21. He'll be probably, you know, what, 22 uh, in July. So 22 by the time the season starts. Uh, he's a big hockey guy growing up. But his mom tried to push him to football in eighth grade. He attended Barrington High School, which I think my sister went there, or was it Bartlett? I don't know. It was one of the two. Where he started to take football seriously as a freshman and was a standout on the JV team as a sophomore. He joined the varsity team as a junior defensive lineman and helped lead Barrington to a seven-win season and spot in the playoffs. As a senior captain, Van Ness didn't leave the field and played on offense, right guard, defense, defensive end, and special teams. He was named the 2019 Conference Defensive Player of the Year and earned first-team All-State and All-Area honors with 67 tackles, eight tackles for a loss, five sacks, one forced fumble, and a blocked punt. Van Ness also continued playing hockey through high school and was a three-year letterman as a defender. He led the league in penalties. Well, there you go. <laughs> he led Barrington to the school's first Final Four appearance at the 2019-2020 State Championships. He was a three-star recruit, Van Ness was a number 52 strong side defensive end in the 2020 recruiting class and the number 21 recruit in Illinois. He attended recruiting cramps, camps after his junior season, and the offers started pouring in, including several from Ivy League programs. Now, that part I don't want to necessarily gloss over. He got a ton of offers from Ivy League schools. Why? Because his grades were probably through the roof. That's not a, uh, a detail that should go overlooked. Look, if we, if we could just summarize, uh, we'll, we'll continue, but if we could summarize this, he's a relatively young guy who's relatively new to this. He's raw, unbelievably talented. We haven't, he, he hasn't been able to even tap into where, what he can fully do, and very, very intelligent. He got offers from Brown, Columbia, Cornell, or Colonel, according to Creed, Dartmouth, Princeton, and Yale. 
Van Ness mulled offers from Illinois, Kansas State, and military academies, but he had his eyes on Iowa. His parents attended Iowa State, but his father, Jason, grew up a Hawkeyes fan. Much of his side of the family still resides in Iowa, and he passed his rooting interests on to Lucas as the family attended Iowa football games while Lucas was growing up. Lucas's older sister also enrolled at Iowa. After he attended a recruiting camp in Iowa City in June 2019, Van Ness received an offer from head coach Kirk Ferentz and committed a few days later. He was the number 17 ranked recruit in Iowa's 2020 recruiting class. Van Ness is currently dating the younger sister, Frankie, of Chicago Bears tight end Cole Komet. That is freaking hilarious, especially since he's from Chicago and probably a Bears fan, which sucks, but whatever. He'll, uh, we'll heal him of that ailment. He elected to skip his final two seasons of eligibility and enter the 2023 draft. So, measurables. 6 foot 5, 272 as we said. He actually was up at two, up to 275 at his pro day. 34 and a half inch arms according to his pro day. 11 inch hands. Um, we'll just stick with the combine I guess even though it's a little less. 81 and 3 quarter inch wingspan. Ran a 458 266 20 yard dash, 157 10 yard dash. 31-inch vertical jump, 9-foot, 10-inch broad jump, 4-3-2 short shuttle, 7-0-2-3 cone, and 17 reps on the bench. What does that all mean? Well, Lucas Van Ness, as expected, 9-3-9 RAS. That, I think at this point we have to assume that is an absolute disqualifier if you're not in the nines in the first round, right? It's just later rounds, fine. First round, you got to be in the nines. Um which honestly I think makes sense. It's all about projection. This is why they were never going to get Will McDonald as much as I loved him. This is all, and, and honestly, this is why I don't think for stuff like this it's terrible to just watch highlights. Now, if you watch highlights and still don't like them, that's a problem, and that happens sometimes. But you look at it and say, well, watching highlights is stupid. Not necessarily, because what we're doing is we're projecting them at their best. Now, it's possible that you can project beyond the highlights because obviously there are not a lot of highlights because they couldn't put it into motion but sometimes what it is is you see those glimpses and and you see those flashes of oh my goodness right the, the, there's a clip going around on social media right now of him going up against peter skaronsky and he puts one hand in the man's chest absolutely knocks him over goes straight through him and gets to the quarterback the point is and and, and see when i watch it i'll see that and then i'll see the next 10 plays where he doesn't do that you know what i mean and, and when you watch every single snap and it's like, that was a failure, that was a failure, that was a, that was nice, that was, oh, come on, come on. You, you kind of overall just go, it's not there. But guys like this are going to look and say, this dude is a really tall, really big, freakish athlete. Like, if, if we can get him to that point where we know we can get him, he's going to be fantastic. Anyways, RAS, right? Um, his 40-yard dash of 4.58 is a 9.76 to put to quantify how good that is um his 20 yard split 9.52 10 yard split 9.77 and that's not that's actually the, the 10 yard split is probably more important than the 40 yard dash because it's it's the speed over 10 yards and that was his best because really what we're looking for is that uh burst now Unfortunately, the explosion isn't that great. Vert is 31 inches. The or it's it's a 4.29. The broad jump is a 7.74. But also important, agility. His 4.32 short shuttle is an 8.4 out of 10. His three cone of 7.02 is a 9.04 out of 10. So great size. Just just summarizing based on what RAS says. Great size, elite speed, great agility, and good explosion. They have some RAS comps. Ezekiel Ansah, 
Trey Hendrickson, Preston Smith, Trayvon Walker, Brian Johnston. Those are the the similar um, athletic scores and whatnot. All right, continuing on now. Strengths. Owns a long, stout frame with an accessible power base. Explodes out of his stance to shoot gaps and work half a man. Naturally strong and puts his arm length to use as a bull rusher to power through the numbers. And that's what we saw in that clip. Flashes ascending handwork with a chop club rip move or moves. Initial twitch helps him threaten the corner on the outside or out quick interior blockers, creating mismatches when he reduces. A lot of, a lot of words. Sets a physical edge and torques his body to stay rooted and, um, and out angle blockers. Plays hard and gives chase on plays away from him. Strikes through ball carriers as a tackler and has the grip strength to finish even when flying by. Earned the coach's 2022 Appreciation Award on special teams. Blocked two punts versus Iowa State. Gotta love that. Worked hard to fill out his frame, adding 35 pounds of muscle since he signed at 240. That's wild. Had zero career starts in college, but played start... That that freaks people out, by the way, when they hear that. But I've heard other people comment that it's not a big deal. We'll, we'll, We'll... We're going to be digging a lot into this guy. This is like initial reaction. I don't even know much about him yet. We'll have plenty more to talk about. I'm just doing what I can to kind of get us caught up from the baseline here. Had zero career starts in college, but played starter level snaps with the production of a full-time starter, experienced at both defensive tackle and edge rusher. That was another comment that Gutekunst made that we'll get to, and that is that he reminds him of Rashawn Gary, but it's a little bit more like Zadarius where you could kick him inside and he can really be a force on the inside. Weaknesses. His youth is evident as he often uh, mistimes his hands or rush moves. By the way, I don't see that as a weakness. I see that as a strength. Every single weakness that is coachable is a strength because all it means is this is an area where he will get better, right? And that's what you want. You need him to be upgradable. If, If there were zero weaknesses, in other words, I don't see anything that there is to be improved upon, then what you see is what you get. There's nothing else here, right? And and that's a problem with even like the guy that I liked, Will McDonald. I'm not saying that there aren't areas to improve. I'm sure there are, but it's like the areas that you wish he was better are his height and his weight and stuff like that that you can't improve on. Van Ness is everything you want as a human being. It's the technique that needs work. Competes with a touch of insanity, which leaves him out of control at times and needs to tighten things up. Again, yes, but also... And this is kind of what I was talking about with corners. A lot of the corners I like, and safeties and all that kind of stuff, are line. it doesn't matter the position. I would rather you be wild and reckless, but aggressive, than to be kind of, you know, timid or whatever. We, we, you know, you, you can learn to, you know, get that sort of intelligence down where you kind of understand where to be and what to do and how to harness that psychotic nature. But show me that you want it, right? I just love guys that are just so freaking hungry to just hit something. Anyways... Um, playing with better balance in pursuit will help him as a finisher and clean up missed tackles. Again, a coachable thing. Relies more on his motor than his instincts right now. Again, that's experience, which he doesn't have. That will come with time. Can do a better job anticipating set points for quicker wins. I'm assuming that's a coaching thing. I have no idea what that means. Will negotiate his anchor when his pads get upright. So pad level, coachable. Has some rigidness to his movements when he doesn't sink but still gets where he is going quickly. So rigidness is a problem, but he's describing it as rigidness that's associated with, you know, sinking your hips and all that kind of stuff. So it's still coachable. This is, by the way, the reason even Tyree Wilson, why I was worried. Not to say that he doesn't, he, he can't just refine some of his madness and just be a freak. 
But one of the problems I had with him was just tightness. He's such a tall, long, monstrous human. He's not really a bender. Now, if you kind of kick him inside and do, you know, I mean, you can use that and he can absolutely just destroy some stuff, but you can't coach a guy to be more agile. It just is what it is. Maybe get him to do some stretches or something, but I, I, there are physical limitations there. Anyways, finally, this is from Dane Brugler's Beast Big Board, by the way. Summary. Coming off the bench at Iowa, Van Ness was primarily an edge rusher and defensive coordinator Phil Parker's four-man front, but he also saw significant snaps inside over the B-gap. The Iowa coaches reward seniority, so John Wagner and Joe Evans start at defensive end last season, but Van Ness had more defensive snaps than either and led the Hawkeyes in tackles for a loss and sacks. So the the, the he-never-started thing is kind of nonsense. It's a title that they gave to the old guys because they're seniors and it's a respect thing. But yet Van Ness outsnapped them because he's better than them. Regardless of alignment, Van Ness has high-end tools with his length and play strength, which allows him to wear down blockers as a pass rusher or stack, locate, and play off blocks in the run game. A hockey player most of his life, he credits his time on the ice for developing his balance, urgent play style, and competitive toughness. Overall, Van Ness needs coached up with his pass rush construction and overall pacing, but he is an ascending player and competes like a grizzly bear. I freaking love that line. With his fierce power and explosive twitch, he has the upside of an impactful NFL starter with inside-outside versatility regardless of scheme. First-round grade number 10 overall. So again, Dane Brugler had him as the 10th best player. We got him at 13. It's not insane value, but it's you know probably the best guy left on the board and a great pick. And again, even if we look at his big board, which is not the be-all, end-all, and obviously the teams disagreed based on where they fell, but his number one wide receiver was Jackson Smith and Jigba. He had him as the 18th best player. Lucas Van Ness was the 10th best player. Let's just say this is the Packers board. What do you do? If we just go through his top prospects, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, CJ Stroud, um, Christian Gonzalez was there. He was a fifth best prospect. Bijan Robinson, Peter Skaronsky, Tyree Wilson, Devin Witherspoon, Lucas Van Ness, Nolan Smith, uh, Paris Johnson, Anthony Richardson. Those are the top 13 guys. The only ones that were left were Nolan Smith, Lucas Van Ness, and Christian Gonzalez. So according to his board, Christian Gonzalez would have been the best pick, then Lucas Van Ness, then Nolan Smith, then Will Levis, then Joey Porter, then Brian Branch, then Jackson Smith and Jigba. The board just is what it is. It's all defensive pieces, and all the offensive guys are just further down the line. Now, again, this is different than the NFL seems to think. I mean, they didn't like Christian Gonzalez. By the way, I love this draft because so many things I felt vindicated with. Not everything, but I loved Witherspoon. He went early. Gonzalez, not a big fan. I liked him, but it was just kind of eh. He went well later. Right, My favorite pass rusher went immediately after uh, Lucas Van Ness went. Right, the wide receivers went late. I, I said, I don't see it with Jackson Smith and Jigba. The other guys, I like them, but they're so small. Addison and, uh, and Flowers. And, and Quentin Johnson's not small, but again, it's just kind of an I don't see it necessarily thing. He's okay. But um, let's do a... Boy, oh boy, there's so many things we can look at here. Let's look at the PFF big board next. PFF, not as big of a uh, fan. They had him as the fourth best edge rusher, but 27th on their big board. They said, Lucas Van Ness is as strong as they come in terms of pass rush ability. See, that's what I'm just excited to see. Again, I haven't watched him in a long time, and it wasn't a ton. Same with like Jordan Love, right? I watched one game of Jordan Love. It was the LSU game. It was a terrible game. And I said, nah, this guy's garbage. 
Then I went back and watched every single game that I could find, and I changed my opinion. I want to see... Everybody's talking like, dude, this guy's a freaking super strong monster just blowing people up. I just want to go see that. Known for his power rush, he was able to generate 46 pressures and 9 sacks this past season. We got to do the stats, by the way. He is one of the reasons Iowa had such a dominant defense. Van Ness is also better inside the... uh, uh, against the run than most defensive ends in the class, finishing with an 80.9 run defense grade in 2022. If he can continue to improve his pass rush moves, look out for him at the next level. Again, similar kind of thing. He's got tools. If he can develop them, he's going to be a freak. This is a, a this is a such a classic Packers thing. This is by the book. Premium position. Where is the 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 position strong in the draft? Find the guy that fits the athletic tools that has the high ceiling that you can reach. So you're looking for a guy that's good, but can get a heck of a lot better. Six foot five, 270, really raw, unbelievably strong. And if he can reach his ceiling, I mean, you know, unbelievable things can happen. That's the point. If, it is if, but that's, again, this is the playbook. Pros, they said, impressively put together defensive linemen. Racked up 270-pound physique. Oh, rocked up. He is jacked, too. I saw there was a video of him um, doing some of that Rashawn Gary stuff with with his coach. And um, his whole body just looks like a six-pack. I mean, he's freaking massive. His ability to sink into his bull rush is insane. Plays at a ridiculous angle into contact. Power that you rarely see from only a third-year player. Man, you guys are getting me excited about this guy. (laughs) Cons. Was never even a full-time starter for Iowa. Already addressed that. Played 50-plus snaps in one career game. One move rusher. Don't throw much else at linemen other than a bull rush. Again, that needs to be developed. And that would be the question. And I'm assuming the Packers have answered that. What else can you do with the guy? Does he have that ability to use his speed and bend around the corner? Obviously, you can develop pass rush moves and all that kind of stuff. And, and Rashawn and Preston will be right there along with some, some really good coaches and everything else. But the question would be the limitations on some of the other styles of pass rushing. Not that there's anything wrong with a wicked freaking bull rush. But the point is, at the NFL level, there aren't a ton of guys that can't handle it. If they know that's all you got and they set up for it, you've got to have some kind of a counter, some kind of a thing else, or you're just going to get eaten up all day. Uh, the last one says rep- repetitive play style didn't really react to what offensive linemen were doing in front of him. Again, that's a growth thing. He's kind of a one-trick pony. And again, that can be a good thing because he's playing at a relatively high level with really no plan, doesn't really know what he's doing. He's just like, I don't know, I'm just going to hit this guy real hard and see how it goes. And it worked a lot. You start developing some of the other stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Player comp, Justin Smith. He had nine sacks, which is tied for 18th. Six hits tied for 83rd. 31 hurries, which is tied for 25th. Um, That's about it of interest. Uh, snaps by alignment and grade. So when he's lined up inside the A, so at the A gap, way inside, it's D1 grade. B gap between the tackle and guard, uh, 155 snaps. It was his second most, 86.7 grade. Lined up over the tackle, so nose to nose, 64.7 grade. Didn't do that very much. Outside of the tackle, where he would normally be standing up for us, 242 snaps. That's what he did the most. 72.6. So he's he's most where he's at his best is between the tackle and guard. After that would be outside of the tackle, and that's where he was the most. And that's all that stuff. Where he wins pad level. It's truly a sight to behold how low the six foot five Van Ness can get into contact. He's at a 45 degree angle, snap after snap, and somehow stays on balance. And again, he talked about that. I I play hockey, and I 
just developed a lot of balance with that, so that's pretty cool. What's his role? Versatile defensive lineman. Van Ness played nearly all of the 2021 season as a three technique for Iowa before kicking outside more often this past fall. So there's another thing. He's, this, this is kind of new to him being on the outside. He trends more as an edge defender in the NFL, but can fill either in a pinch. Where he can improve any other moves. Due to how dominant Van Ness was as a bull rusher, I don't blame him for repeatedly going back to that well. That being said, NFL offensive linemen are unlikely to afford him the same luxury. Exactly what I said. You can get away with that in college. You can't in the NFL. If they watch tape on you and, and they tell you this guy is only going to bull rush, they're going to be ready for it. And you're, there might be some bad tackles that you're going to be able to beat once in a while, but mediocre to good tackles at an NFL level not going to have a lot of success. So, so they've got to coach him up on that stuff. All right. Advanced data. Uh, pass rush grade, 74.3. Run defense grade, 80.9. True pass rush grade, 84.7. So it went from a 74 to an 84 when it was more of a one-on-one as opposed to double teams and all that stuff. Pass rush win rate was an 18.8. Run stop rate, 5.3. They use these little bars out of, what, 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9. They have his strength and explosiveness at nine out of ten. His bend is a nine out of ten. That's super. That's that's. I love, I love bend, man. And that's that's fantastic news because that's what you need to be able to do if you're going to win some other kind of way. Feet balance. They have a uh, seven out of ten. Hand usage seven out of ten. Uh, uh, as far as this combine testing, it says one of the more underrated freaks at the combine. Van Ness's four five eight second forty yard dash at two hundred and seventy two pounds was a sight to behold. My favorite number the Iowa product put up, though, had nothing to do with athleticism. It was his massive 11-inch hands that will do wonders when it comes to shedding blocks. Overall, Van Ness has one of the uh, Van Ness has one of the weirder prospect profiles in the NFL draft class, but it's one I'm willing to bet on. Looking into his PFF grades, again, just the two years. As a rookie, he had a 70 grade with a 62 run defense, 50 tackling, 71 pass rush and a 70 coverage, 28 pressures on 287 attempts is right at 10%. It's mediocre, not that great. Four total sacks. Next year, plays almost the exact same amount of snaps. He goes from a 70 to an 80 overall grade, a 62 to an 81 run defense grade. Tackling goes from 50 to 55, so that's still somewhat of an issue. We'll get to that as far as game to game. Pass rush went from a 72 to a 74, so the grade didn't get that much better. However, his stats went up to 46 pressures on 271 attempts. That's 17%, which is solid. He added nine sacks to that. As far as his game-to-game, it was relatively um, consistent. Uh, 73, 81, 81, 75. 56, 67, 63, 57. This is kind of a rough patch there. Then 75, 74, 61, 72, 72. So nothing horrific. His worst game was a 57. And then he had uh, two games in the 80s. As far as the tackling goes, it's a 55 grade, which is terrible. But most of his games are good. The problem is he has uh, against Northwestern, 32. South Dakota State, 20, uh, it's a 30, basically. Against Wisconsin, a 27. Against Rutgers, a 24. His other games, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70. So he's fine every single time, but there are some games where he's missing some tackles. The issue, though, is... Aside from one game, he's never missed more than one tackle. Northwestern is the only game where he missed two tackles. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not great, but when you um, have one tackle opportunity and you miss, you're going to have a really bad grade. So something to keep an eye on, but it's hard to know for sure. 
Then as far as special teams, he had an 82.7 special teams grade, which sounds fantastic, but like everybody else with great grades, it's all 60s aside from one game. It's the two. It's I'm assuming it's the game against Iowa State. He blocked two punts. He had a 94 grade. So that brings up his total average to 82.7. And look, I mean, as as far as personal thoughts, you know, if if you watch the stream, my reaction was basically, oh no, you you, you know my thoughts. I I watched him. I didn't care for him. I knew it was coming. I, I'll say this though, of all the picks that I was expecting but didn't want, Lucas Van Ness is probably my favorite. Significantly better than Miles Murphy. That would have made me devastated. The, the guy out of Georgia that's undersized would have really upset me. Brian Brzee would have really upset me. Lucas Van Ness is just, I didn't hate him. It was just a matter of like, I just feel like he's maybe not here. You know, I mean, again, if we're picking at 25 like usual, I probably would have liked him more. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from memory in terms of how I felt at the time. In fact, we could probably go back and listen to what I said, although it's going to sound horrible. <laughs> it's just going to be trashing the guy. No, I got to go back and listen. So it's not that bad. I mean, if you want to go back and listen to it, you can. I'm not going to do it here because we're not doing Debbie Downer Hour. This is this is hype up time. But essentially, I said what most people are saying. I said the, the power is evident. And it's amazing sometimes watching how every single time he gets underneath the guy, stands him straight up and has complete control. My issue was I didn't see him make plays, right? It just came down to, okay, do something with that now. The the, the well, I'll, I'll play this sentence for you. I, I, I generally agree with the idea that, you know, I, you can see sort of the upside, but he needs some refinement to actually turn all that power and everything else into, you know, something. It has to produce. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break here. Uh, we'll come back. We'll listen to the uh, interview that Lucas Van Ness did. We'll listen to what Brian Gutekunst had to say. Um and then we will look at some of the options for day two, and there are a lot of them. I'm, I'm actually really excited about how the board fell. Um, so that is the plan. If you'd like to support the work here, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Also, please consider uh, supporting Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find what they do over at fertilegroundranch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, why don't we start with this? We'll have a little bit of a listen as to what Lucas Van Ness had to say when he joined the Green Bay Packers. I'm a very power-oriented rusher. I feel like using my length to separate from offensive... Again, I apologize for the music that is louder than his voice because the Green Bay Packers social media team can't figure out the basics here. Lyman associated with my power can be very dangerous. I think if you put me outside, I can be very dangerous on the edge. I couldn't have asked for a better result, and I'm just so happy to be a Packer. It's always been my goal to play at the highest level, and, you know, I went for it, and I shot for the stars, and I'm so happy I made that decision. Can't wait to, you know, get my career started here with Green Bay. Pretty generic, but it's good to hear him talk and, and uh, get his thoughts on it and whatnot. It would be good to get him in front of a podium. and I, I you, know, you know, the first thing that I thought that got me excited, because at first I was a little disappointed, whatever. Um, I expected it, but it's just kind of like whatever. This isn't a guy that I was super excited about. But then I thought about his upside and the potential of him being sort of another Rashawn. If you have two Rashans on your team, similar to when we had Zadarius and Rashawn, it's such an awesome thing to have. Do you recall how awesome that was? And that was before Rashawn necessarily even became Rashawn, right? That's when Rashawn was still like, you know, trust me, he's good. The stats say so, even though he's not on the field very much and whatnot. Like, and the sacks aren't really there, but the pressures are there. And, you know, just, just trust me, he's really good. All the way, Rashawn, with another guy that uh, has some Zadarius comps, at least according to our GM. That's when I first got excited. But all right, let's get to Brian Gutekunst's comments. There's a little bit of music that's playing over him at the beginning. Again, annoying, but here it is. Uh, uh, obviously, the 13th pick, we took Lucas Van Ness, uh, edge rusher from, from Iowa. Uh, really excited about it, um, obviously. Um, big man, powerful, fast, explosive. Um, really big upside, and we're, we're really excited to get him. His, uh, his measurables seem pretty similar to Rashawn from a size speed standpoint. Does his film look like that at all, or do you see that at all? Yeah, they're a little bit different player, a little bit different body type. Um, their, their measurables do do add up pretty pretty similar, though. But um, uh, he's had a little bit more probably exposure inside rushing than Rashawn did coming out, you know. Um, but... Uh, that's the other thing. I mean, they both needed refinement, but it feels like Rashawn needed more. He had a higher upside and more tools, but he needed more refinement. I think he had less production in college. He was a he was strictly a um, four three defensive end. So, you know, again, the Packers had to teach him to be a stand up outside linebacker. He did not have much, if any, exposure to that. And then from there, they had to try to teach him a little bit of how to be inside. Lucas Van Ness, even only playing two years, started inside, then he went outside, right? He, he's, he's played down defensive end, he's played outside linebacker, he's played basically as an interior nose tackle. I remember 
I think it was Whipler or somebody that I was looking at or Tipman or something. Um, one of the games I saw was against Iowa and he was matched up against Lucas Van Ness. A center <laughs> was up against Lucas Van Ness. But they're both big, fast, long, powerful athletes. And, um, you know, I think they'll, they'll complement each other well along with Preston and, and JJ from last year and some of the guys we have. I think it's going to be a nice... That's the other thing. Completely forgot about Kingsley and Igbare, right? I mean, it's... Um, you know, I obviously I make fun of people for saying you can never have too many pass rushers, but I'll say this. Ideally, you've got four guys that are really good. Now, I'm assuming we're going to start the season with Lucas Van Ness and Preston because Rashawn will be injured. Hopefully, it's Lucas Van Ness to start. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see how far off from being a true uh, solid starter. I, I don't think... I, I think he will because this is not the same situation that you saw with... Um, Rashawn, where number one, again, Rashawn was a little further away from understanding his assignments, but also you had Zedarius and Preston. He just was not going to start over those two guys. This is going to be Preston and Kingsley and Igbare, right? He's going to start above Kingsley. But you've uh, the, the great thing is we've got two starters, and we've got Kingsley as our third, and when Rashawn comes back, we've got four guys. And, and even if you look at Kingsley and you say, you know, he's not like a premier guy. Well, I know he's not premier, but I, all I'm saying is, if you've got two elite edge rushers, three really solid edge rushers, and four competent edge rushers, that's a heck of a situation to be in. And I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. I don't know when Rashawn comes back healthy, how long it takes to develop Lucas Van Ness. It could be two years. It could be three years. I don't know. I'm guessing year two. Not to say he won't produce at all in year one. I'm just talking about how long it takes for him to really get to peak form. Now, that seems fast, but it seems like most of these really good first-round pass rushers, their second year they explode. Rashawn was year three, but as I said, if you add up his actual snaps because he was limited in his opportunities, his snaps over three years accounted to almost exactly what guys like you know the Bosa and all that, when they finally turned the corner, it was, it was year two in terms of snaps. And because I expect Van Ness to be starting immediately, I think it could be as early. Again, not saying he's bad this year. I'm just saying peak form as early as next year. Um, hopefully some some solid production this year. Nice group. You call them an edge rusher, Brian. You, is that primarily where you see him with the possibility of yeah. maybe doing some inside stuff? Too? Absolutely. I think he's going to. He's a very versatile player. Obviously, that's very important to us. Um, you know, I think obviously he's a different player than Z was, but he, I think he's going to be able to do a lot of. Oh, they're showing some highlights here. I don't know why it did that. You know, I think he's, his, his best football is ahead of him, um, but he's gonna, he is a guy that's going to be able to move inside and out. What's the thinking behind wanting such big edge guys? Well, I think versatility is one, right? Because when you're a little lighter outside there, you can't go inside. It's tougher to go inside. And again, this is why I said they're not going to draft Will McDonald. And I also felt comfortable they wouldn't take the Georgia guy. Now, I wasn't 100% confident in that. I think he was like my fourth most likely option or whatever, just because he's an extremely athletic Georgia edge rusher. And I know their affinity for Georgia, but he didn't fit. He was like 250 pounds. And so was the guy that I liked. And it's like, this is just not really what the Packers do. It's not to say never, right? If you're so enamored with their ability, you kind of get over the fact that, you know, all right, fine, you know, he, he can't do everything we want, but he can do these things elite. But I just felt like that wasn't necessarily it. That was going to be Miles Murphy, Lucas Van Ness, or possibly Brian Brzee on the inside if they wanted to go that route. Um, but, but again, that this is what the Packers like. 
Uh, they love that. And and honestly, I think it solved a big problem. For a long time, I think the NFL in general and the Packers especially, everybody liked the Speed Ben guys, right? That's why I wanted Brian Burns over Rashawn Gary because Rashawn Gary is a big collapse-the-pocket guy and Brian Burns is a bend-around-the-corner guy. But a lot of times what we saw, especially with more mobile quarterbacks now and everything else, is you get around the corner, but you leave that void and that place for them to not only step up in the pocket but step out of the pocket. So even if the interior guys are pushing, there's still going to be a gap because you're all the way around the corner and there's too much ground to cover. But if you've got big edge guys compressing the pocket along with guys up front that are compressing the pocket, that's why all these sacks that we saw, it was so funny that when, you know, Zedarius and Rashawn and all that, a lot of times it was almost like the tackles were making the sacks because it was like a sandwich where Rashawn would reach over the tackle and grab the guy and drag both the tackle and the quarterback down. You know, it's not these clean, like, beat him around the corner and just smoke the quarterback types of things. It's push the tackle into the quarterback, grab the quarterback, and rip him down, along with this big, fat, stupid tackle. But it actually does make a lot more sense. You're not allowing the quarterback to escape. But that's also why you need good defensive tackles as well, because if you're compressing on the outside but not up front, there's still going to be a place to step up. So you take away the place to step up, you can press on the edge, and he's done. And again, the versatility. We can kick him to the inside. We can do a lot more cool stuff with these guys. Um, certainly setting edges in first and second downs are very, very important to us um, in the run in the run defense. So um, I think it's just kind of how we want to be built, you know. And um, again, I think uh, his versatility jumps out, but also just the explosive nature with which he can rush a passer. You have him drop a little weight maybe to... He's a pretty low body fat guy, so I don't know if he's going to drop much, if anything. So I think it'll be just really where he's comfortable playing. I think he was in the low 270s at his pro day, I think, or at the combine, somewhere right in there. And um, He's one of those body types that could probably go up and go down if he wanted to, but I think that's probably where he'll kind of stay right in that in that area he's pretty young guys 21 um and most of those guys as the age you know it's they usually settle in about 10 pounds heavier so we'll see you know how important was it to address that position with Rashawn's injury and knowing it may be a bit thin midway through next season it's helpful but it really didn't drive the decision at all you know I think this as you guys know and especially in um in the draft we really look more long term than immediately and and let's be honest that as much as we look at it from that standpoint, if they're drafting positions because they're focused on like a month or two of football, that's insane, right? This this isn't about covering for a couple months while Rashawn is on. Granted, those couple months are going to suck. But the point is, and, and this is where people get upset because it's like, we need to do something for now. We need, you know... This is going to help for a couple months for Rashawn, or this is why we need a wide receiver or a tight end for our quarterback. You know, it's it's all about doing something immediately now. I'm excited again. I'm excited about next year. Lucas Van Ness and Rashawn Gary being freaking monsters, and nobody else wants to think about that. Well, that's next year. Who cares about next year? I do, and the Packers do. And again, the reason you're successful isn't because of how well you drafted this year. It's about how well you drafted last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. And all those guys culminate into a really good football team. That's the point. So as much as it's like, well, what is Lucas Van Ness going to do this year? And hopefully, odds are this is not going to be his best year, right? Very rarely are rookies the best um, uh, manifestation of their abilities. It's not. It's going to be year two, year three, year four, year five, whatever. But we're building a good football team. 
And, you know, the the uh, obvious other part of this is Preston is not going to be here forever. I don't think he's leaving necessarily super soon, but, you know, in a few years, he's out the door. So this is a long-term thing. And and beyond all of that, it's a pick that just makes sense. It's It's a valuable position. This is a guy that is going to bring your team a lot of value. And it's a guy that has a high likelihood of doing that because of the position, but also because of the upside and the athleticism and all those kinds of things. And again, taking a guy like Zay Flowers, who is what, five foot eight, 170 or something ridiculous? He's a shifty guy, but he is what he is, and he's never going to be anything better than that. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some things he's going to be coached up on, but that's it. He can't get taller. He's not going to get faster. He's not going to get shiftier. He's not going to get heavier. And if he does, he's just going to get slower. There's no upside. It's just, you know, we, we want somebody to get open this year, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we, we got to, I don't know, trust the process. And again, remember last year. Last year, we desperately, desperately needed wide receivers, more so than we do now, I would argue. And what happened? We went defense, defense in the first round. And it's like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. What happened in the next round? We traded up because there was urgency. We got to do something. They traded up. They got a freaking stud in Christian Watson. We drafted two more wide receivers after that. One of them at least seems like he's going to be a solid wide receiver. We'll see about Samori Ture. But they did a great job with edge rushers, or excuse me, with wide receivers. We didn't need to panic about the fact that we, quote unquote, wasted the picks. Now, maybe we did. We'll see what happens with Quay. And I'm really still holding out hope for Wyatt. I loved that guy in college. But again, that's, that's the other thing. We drafted Wyatt. I love Wyatt. What did we get from him as a rookie? Basically nothing. Is that a failure? Of course it's not, because you don't draft the guy to help you in his rookie year. The guys like Aaron Rodgers and Lazard and Jair and David Bakhti, you know, like it's, it's the guys that have been there. Those are the ones that are expected to drive your team. And if rookies can come in and help, freaking awesome. And there is some level of expectation from first-round guys, but that's the whole thing. It's like, well... Okay, maybe the first-round guys are some level of expectation, but after that, not much. Not much. Um, that, this will have some immediate help, for sure, but it was really more of a long-term um, thought process. You mentioned his best balls ahead of him. This is a guy that hasn't started a game. Is there any concern with that? No, it's unusual, um, but at the same time, he played close to 1,000 snaps the last two years. Um, you know, Iowa's I got a very good culture uh, there, and, and, and uh, it's just kind of the way they do things a little bit, but... Um, it, I mean, he played uh, the you know majority of the snaps of anybody on the defensive line. So you know he's he's again he is he's got a lot of you know football ahead of him. But um, um, I think he played cl- almost just under a thousand snaps over. Again, just to be clear for anybody that hasn't understood, he was the best player on that defensive line. He played the most snaps on that defensive line and was the most talented guy on the defensive line. Starter was just a title that was it's like captain. It was a, it was a title given to the veterans out of respect for the veterans. It's a, it's, as he said, it's a culture thing. So that's all it is. So it's almost useless to even bring that up because it doesn't mean anything. He wasn't a starter. What does starter mean? It means he wasn't a senior. <laughs> that's literally what it means. He wasn't even a senior this, this entire season, not once. He wasn't a senior. That's all you're saying when you say he wasn't a starter, just to be clear. Over the last two years. Sounds highly blunt. A couple of punts. I don't know how much he played special teams, but is he somebody who could work in that passive game as well? Yeah, I think you know he has done a little bit of work there, and he certainly could help us there for sure. Um, I think <laughs> is brushing that off with that answer so so quickly. You can tell that that was not at the forefront of his mind. The combination of size and speed will will you know, lend that. 
Goody, I, I asked this question with Ted's Texas draw, that that's just how the way the board fell yeah. in my ear, but 12 out of the last 13 first round picks by you guys and seven of the eight that you've made having defensive mm -hmm. backgrounds. Is that on purpose? Is that really just how the board fell? And when you invest that much in the defense, what does that tell you about where your expectations should be? Yeah. Uh, the first part of it, I think, is just a little bit coincidence. It's not certainly something that we um, intentionally try to do. Uh, and again, this is what nobody wants to believe. Um, when, when, for example, when the draft rolls around, it's, you know, I, I, I think they should draft this person, but we know they won't because they only draft defense. That's not true. Unless he's lying, which he could be lying, but I don't know why he would be lying, I guess. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, what he's telling you is that it's, it's kind of just random based on the value at the place that we're picking, right? And again, you can go back to all these different drafts where they wanted offensive pieces. All the years they wanted wide receivers, they just went too early. This year, they didn't want the wide receivers because they're not good enough. But, you know, again, they, there was, they wanted Justin Jefferson, but the Vikings traded up and got him. They had five wide receivers they were willing to draft in the first round last year. All five of them went off the board very early. And so there was not the value for a wide receiver there. So they went with the next best guys and they were defensive guys. Um, so it is what it is. But I know a lot of people refuse to believe that. Maybe I'm being naive because it, it certainly is an, an outlier. But again, I predicted it. Not because they always go defense, but because it made the most sense. Now, part of it is they, it made the most sense because... Brian Gutekunst said that's where the depth of it is. Maybe he just has some kind of a fetish for edge rushers. I don't really know how that works. But, um, again, it, as far as their process is concerned, it's not about forget the offense, we're going defense. It was about defense is where the strength is, so that's what we're doing. We're not deviating from the plan that has made us a great franchise for 30 years for the sake of panic. Um, but at the same time, it's, uh, it is, I mean, it's, you know, it's unusual that, that that's that many years. And um, but uh, I do think the expectations are high. I sat here last year, said the same thing, and I think we had really good moments last year. But uh, the consistency has to be better. Um, but yeah, I think the expectations around here are always high, uh, and uh, we put a lot of investment into that group, and um, there are high expectations there. Brian, you, you guys obviously had some more flexibility uh, to maybe move back up with that second second mm -hmm. round pick. Was there any discussion to do that, and how do you feel kind of going into tomorrow with those two picks? Yeah, we you know right after we picked, we kind of you know talked about what that would cost and um, just what kind of players would be you know available there to us. The board held up pretty well, and um, I think as we as you know there wasn't as much movement in the in the first round as, as maybe there has been in the past. Um, and I just think, you know, I think we worked hard to get that extra pick, and I think we're going to kind of, you know, we'll see how it goes tomorrow, but I wouldn't expect to give it up. See, and I, I had even mentioned on the stream, I don't think the Packers would move back in. Um, something else came to mind as he was talking, but my initial thought was, again, it, it is going to cost a lot. It's probably going to cost two second-round picks, and I don't want to spend that. The, having two second-round picks is extremely valuable in and of itself. Um, but beyond that, who are you trading up for? You really want to package two two second round picks to go up and get a tight end? I don't think that that's necessarily the greatest thing to do. I mean, if you're going to do it and go up and get an edge rusher, but you already did that, uh, a tackle, but they're they're basically all off the board. Um, and as you said, the the board held up really well in terms of guys that you can get tomorrow. And if if they're 
you know, I mean, tomorrow is when you get to the point where you can start talking about trading up with the third round pick to be able to get somebody. So you don't have to sacrifice both second round picks if you really wanted to do that. But I don't think you need to. But the other thing to remember is the teams we were told, there were only about 15, 14, 15, 16 um, first round picks. And honestly, <laughs> if you think about it, when Brian Gutekunst made the comment about he felt it was important to get up to 13, that might have been the if you have 13 or 14 first round picks, it's possible you don't have any by the time 15 rolls around, but if you're at 13, you're guaranteed to get one. Right? So um why would you trade back up into the why would you package two second round picks to trade into the first round for a second round player? Which is a which which 100% is what you're doing because there's not a single team that had 30 First round grades. I, I guarantee you that. I mean, again, there, there there's some variation, but you're not seeing the vast majority of teams with uh, you know 14 first round grades, and one is like, no, nah, dude, there's like 40. Bull mess. That ain't a thing. Brian mentioned the culture of Iowa. You guys have taken six guys out of there since 2003. That's the most time with UCLA here. What is it about guys out of there that you like? Yeah, I think they have a really solid program. You know, Coach Ferentz does a great job out there. Um, just um, those guys learn how to work. Um, they got to earn it there, which is, is, is something that is um, um, important. And um, and they just, um, like, I think that they have a very good process of the players that they select, uh, and then they, they train them very well. What was the thinking of going Van Ness over one of the offensive school guys who was available? Yeah, there was a bunch. We actually we had really good choices. I mean, again, we have you know we don't pick high this high very often, so we had a lot of choices. And um, uh, I think it was just kind of how we had them rated. Um, obviously, we very much believe in rushing the passer, and edge rush was a very premium position for us. And um, it just that, that I think that was why we kind of made that decision. You feel good about what's left over for tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the board held up strong. I feel good about tomorrow. Um, it's always, uh, you never know, but uh, I feel good going into these uh, next two days. I would love more than anything to be able to see their board. You know, I mean, what, what are we, the 10th or 11th pick in? If you've got like eight guys or nine guys, you know, at, at what part do you, point do you start sweating? You know, Will Levis, you assume he's hopefully coming off, so that'll that'll save you a spot. Um, but I'm I, even me, I'm I'm starting to kind of, get a little giddy about it. Not not that they're going to pick from my board, obviously, but um, there's quite a few names. I don't know if, if there's all of them. So you, you got to see how they start coming off. Um, I think that's happened in the past where the board holds up really, really well, and then all the guys you like just start going. It's like, oh, no, like the, a tight end run happens or something, you know, uh, which I'm sure is I, – I, I'm guessing is going to happen. In fact, that, that does happen a lot when the second round rolls around. Um immediately that first pick is is like Michael Mayer and it's like oh shoot and then it's you know the second pick is some other guy that you like and then the third pick is Laporta or you know that the or or Washington it's like oh geez they're just going so fast um but I'm I'm just pumped up man I can't wait it's it's almost one o'clock in the morning I do not want to go to sleep I, I want to finish this podcast and start watching some uh Lucas Van Ness film that you wouldn't do the pick swap in the trade if you didn't feel like it was important when you did that was Lucas someone you, you were specifically targeting to try to get up and maybe he wouldn't have been there at 15 yeah we had a few guys um, he was one of them um, and, but yeah I think I mean again, you really never know how it's going to fall I thought this year's um, top of the draft is a little bit more unpredictable than some others um, but um, 
you, know, you never really know how it's going to fall and if those players would be be there if you know if you move back or if you stayed at 15 or so um, we were happy to, to take him at 13 and um, we're excited to get him up here and, and part of the group when you say uh, upside with this guy what specifically are you talking about are you talking about testing or is there something about in his play where you see that much improvement yeah I just think he's uh, he didn't really you know he was a hockey guy growing up a little bit um, I think he started playing in high school so I think there's just a lot of uh, growth uh, in his game um, he he um, he did play like a thousand snaps in the last two years but it's two years of uh, football he redshirted his first year so I just think there's a lot of growth there and the physical traits are all there for him to grow so there's no real limitation on him but also it's just the versatility of being able to win outside with speed and then also inside with power. So I just think there's so much in front of him, and I think that's where his best football will be. And and again, and I'm very curious about the intelligence thing. Uh, it hasn't really been brought up, but when you're getting uh, offers from all of the top <laughs> Ivy League schools, I have to assume, um, and, and I don't know that there's necessarily a direct correlation there, but that was part of the thing that got me excited about Christian Watson is, you know, despite coming from a small school, I was optimistic that his ability to learn and and, uh, and comprehend and uh, do all that and do it quickly was relatively high because he was known to be an extremely intelligent guy. And um, again, I think Lucas Van Ness comes in with a, a better body of knowledge than Rashawn did in terms of playing the roles that the Packers wanted him to play. It's just about improving in all of them right? You know how to play on the outside. We're going to make you better. You know how to play, you know, in, in the in the B gap. We're going to make you better there. A gap, we're going to make you better there. Across on the tackle, we're going to make you better there, you know? So, um, yeah, I, 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 it's just, it's it really is just a question of, we know the situation. We know um, he's good, but he needs to be a lot better. And, and how much better is he going to get and how quickly is he going to get there? Speaking of that, do you think things have changed a little bit with the draft? Like, I remember Kenny, what, seven years ago, he was 20 years old, you were projecting there. When you started in this business, it was like production and proven commodities. You weren't necessarily drafting on potential. Now you took a guy, I know he played a thousand snaps, but he didn't start. I mean, yeah. is, is there a philosophical shift that you've seen in your time doing this? No, Jason, I don't think so at all, actually. I think if, if from the time I started, the traits, I mean, you know, Ron came from the Raiders, you know, and so traits were very, very important to us, at, you know, the whole time through, so. That's actually kind of funny. I didn't I didn't realize that. Um, that uh, I, I, I've kind of said in the past, one of the things that annoyed me about the Packers, and it's starting to pay off, so I'm okay with it now, but I felt like, especially toward maybe the end of Ted's tenure, it was all about traits, and it wasn't necessarily panning out. You know, it was all about the. It wasn't RAS at the time. It was called the Spark Score, but um, that was like the big thing, which I haven't heard about. I wonder if that's still a thing. It's got to be out there somewhere. But they they like the high Spark Score guys, um, and it was annoying to me after a while because it's like just find good football players. So it's it it is actually interesting to hear that part of that philosophy comes from the lineage of the Raiders. Now the Raiders, uh, all the way back to what's his name, he would always just get the guys with like the really fast 40 times. Like he was, he was that ridiculous, like get the fastest, tallest, freakiest guys. And that didn't necessarily pan out. Right. Um, but it seems like that has become somewhat of a refined process because we're still doing that today, but it's really starting to pan out. You know what I mean? Uh, again, Jair and Rashawn and, and hopefully Van Ness. Not always, but, I mean, it, it. again, it's all about the upside. 
you 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 can bring a guy in that's good, but he's not going to get better, or you can bring in a guy that's that's a little bit iffy, but his ceiling is through the roof. And the Packers just prefer the through the roof guys. Um, I wouldn't really see say I think much has changed at all. I mean, um, production is important. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and then I think in Lucas's case, I mean, he was very productive. I think in his snaps, I think he had 46 pressures and seven and a half sacks, and you know, he's produced uh, in his opportunities. Um, so, um, you know, pass rushers are that's a that's a you know I think you grow as a pass rusher when you come into the National Football League. Uh, the tackles in this league and the guards in this league are, are very very good. So. Um, at some point, you have to have some kind of physical trait to beat a guy. And uh, just like Rashawn, uh, Lucas has those. Have you scouted many players with deep hockey backgrounds the way that Lucas does? And in, in what ways does that maybe translate to football? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm sure we have. Um, you know, it's obviously they're both physical sports. Um, you know, I got a 13 year old that loves it and plays it all the time. But. Um, you know, I don't. Um, the physicality is maybe some crossover. You know, work ethic, those kind of things. But um, in the past, I'm not. I'd have to go back and kind of look through stuff to, to see if there was any hockey guys. Slippery field, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Brian, you've assembled a lot of talent on defense over the last couple of years. How much better do you expect that side of the ball to play, and how? Can that help you as you yeah. transition your team a little bit? Or? Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I, we have high expectations for that group. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, obviously Rashawn's coming off an injury, and um, but we have some young players that are really coming into their own. I mean, I think we're all excited to see what Quay can do. You know, Devondre Campbell, um, you know, we've had Jaws been, you know, playing at a premier level for a long time. So, um, you know, Eric Stokes is going to be coming off an injury too. So getting all those guys back and really letting them go, I think we're, I think we're, we have very high expectations. Um, they're a good group of guys, but you know there's so much work to be done between now and, and in games. Um, but um, yeah, there's there's definitely high expectations. But um, I mean, that's you know we wouldn't have it any other way. And it's not necessarily about Lucas Van Ness, but it's kind of funny because you know we get excited about the rookies, and we should. We absolutely should get jacked up about it. I'm not telling you not to, but. Again, what I've said before is it's about the the year two and the year three. We've got year two and year three guys on the team. So in a sense, in a a weird kind of way, we should be more excited about Devontae Wyatt than about Lucas Van Ness. But obviously we're not. But it's I'm I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying. We don't have to be disappointed about it because we have those guys. Two more, please. Brian, going into tomorrow night with three picks. What's what's the process like tomorrow? Do you guys have a lot of discussions, you know, again beforehand, or is it hey, you know, the board is set, we're, yeah. you know, we're ready, you just wait for six o'clock to roll around? As you can imagine, most of this work's been done prior. Um, I do think we we will get together in the morning and we'll kind of you know walk through um, what happened tonight and and kind of look at how our board sits, where our numbers sit, um, and just kind of you know see where the board is because the board changes obviously as as these rounds go on so depending on where the board is strong just kind of talk about some strategy as far as if we want to move around the phones were very very quiet tonight compared to to usual um which again makes sense nobody wants to move around because there's not a lot of talent you know nobody wants to move up that's the point i'm sure plenty of teams would like to move back nobody wants to move up i'm not giving up ta- uh, capital because the point is the picks were undervalued Right, the the best player, for example, is the like the value of a twenty sixth pick, and we're at pick nineteen. Nobody wants to move up for pick nineteen for the twenty sixth best or for a guy that has a value of the twenty sixth best player or something. You know what I mean? 
Um, so I would imagine that they would pick up tomorrow. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, we'll kind of go through that in the morning, and then um, I think everyone likes to get away for it for a couple hours, and then and then get back in here and, and get ready to go. So Ryan, besides his physical growth at Iowa and his academics, is there one other story that you can think of that convinced you that when this kid gets here, he's going to work at it every day, take it to the next level? Yeah, I think certainly in the um, to the fall, and then our, our kind of our pre-draft process in, in February um, you know he was one of the, the premier edge rushers in this class um, you know for me we, we saw him at the combine and that was very impressive um, I was at the Iowa Pro Day um, and I think you know it's no different than um, a lot of these guys it just helps that all helps it come together um, and then you know he's the uh, the character of the, of the guy really checked out you know I mean he's a culture guy for us he's a fit here um, you know, I think he's uh, he's he's a worker. You know, it's uh, it's really important to him, um, and I think that uh, that always gives you comfort because you know whatever talent he has in his body, if he'll work, he'll get there. His 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 production was good. Obviously, um, is he a polished guy? Like he can come in and be a ready to go player, or is there some Rashawn there where it's it's going to take some time to take all those traits and make him into a legit difference maker yeah I don't think any of these guys come in and are polished but I do think he's going to play right away and he'll help us right away you know Rashawn came in and obviously we had just signed Preston and and Zedarius um but if we would have had to play Rashawn a lot more that year I, th- I think he would have been fine you know um but none which is exactly what I was said and what when I was defending Rashawn to the ends of the earth for his first two years to people who would message me after every single play and say where's your boy Rashawn I thought you know I thought he was such a great pick where's your boy Rashawn and I would tell them, look, he's grading out really well. His stats are actually fantastic. Well, yeah, yeah, where's the product? That's the exact point. The only reason he was there is because of Zadarius and Preston. If it wasn't for those guys, or at least one of them, Rashawn would have been starting the whole time. The stats would have just been multiplied by however many more snaps, and he would have been much more recognized as one of the top pass rushers, just like he has been. So it's not that he started off ridiculously slow, although he certainly did. He's gotten better over the, the several years. Um, but he, he would have been good. The, the, the perception that he was kind of garbage and then emerged is just not true. None of these guys come in polished um, you know, very often, especially as pass rushers. There's so much technique to that to be able to win in this league. It's, it, all, it all takes him a little bit of time. Um, but I would expect him to, to be out there helping us this year. Thank you, guys. By the way, uh, 0 for 1 on the top 30 visits tracker. Um, one final thing, and I will let you find beautiful, amazing people out of here. Well, two things. Number one, I need you guys to check out the uh, stream tomorrow. It is an absolute blast. It's just nonstop ridiculousness and laughing. And um, need you. The, the absolute best part of the whole thing, aside from uh, the Thomas Austin apparel, is the comment section. You guys are freaking hilarious. And so we have a lot of fun with that. But please check it out. It, 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 I, I'm doing the best I can to put it in front of your eyeballs, and I don't know how much more. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. I share it on Twitter. Every one of the, the people that does podcasts for us, they share it. Everybody else is sharing it. And I, after the stream, I got people messaging me like, dude, why didn't you do a stream? Guys, what can I do? Tell me what I can do. I don't know. Final thing. Actual final thing. The list of guys that are available... That I would absolutely love. So um, I've got a couple different things up on the Packernet newsletter, the Packernet Substack. The one is, as I've already told you, it's a list of prospects that I've watched. You click on it, it takes you to a 
the snippet of me talking about them. But the other one, and it's not behind a paywall, you can just go see. It's just a list. It's 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 for my reference as much as anything else because I can't remember. Guys that I love and guys that I like. And it's, it's all basically a spectrum, so it's kind of hard to know exactly who should be in what category. And some of the guys I left off, like I guess I kind of like them, but now I'm going to leave them off. Guys that could potentially be available, or that that are available, that could potentially be second round prospects for the Packers that I love. Number one, this is not necessary. This is in the order of the consensus big board, not necessarily in terms of how much I love them. But Darnell Washington, he is in the love category. I love Darnell Washington. Uh, Dewan Jones, freaking love Dewan Jones. Eddie Tamiwa, Eddie Barwe, Eddie Baware. I went back and listened to it because there, there's the two guys that have the, the names that are kind of tough right next to each other. One of them I actually didn't like. One of them I was freaking madly in love with, and it was Tommy. Now, we already got an edge rusher, so I don't think that's the pick, but for sure. Uh, Cody Mock, Mock, however you say it. Julius Brents, Derek Hall, Rasheed Rice. I didn't actually think I loved Rasheed Rice. I thought he was in the like category, but again, I went back and listened to it. He's in the love category. Uh, Chris Smith is a long shot, probably not, but he who knows. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, as far as the consensus board goes, he's not really a second-round prospect. As far as um, my thoughts go, 100 billion percent. And there were rumors that teams were really high on him, so we'll see. Same with Jair Brown. He's supposed to be sort of a later-round guy, but now we're all of a sudden out of nowhere, like there's stuff popping up. I think SIS or, or um, I don't a couple different organizations. He was the number one guy in this production and this and that and the other thing. So those are the guys. The the other, the only other guys in the love category that I think are going to not be second round picks would be Tank Bigsby. Uh, yeah, Bigsby might be, but I don't think so. And then Hunter Lipke, who is I would say probably at the earliest would be fourth round, the fullback. But I freaking adore that guy. As far as the guys in the like category, we got. Michael Mayer. I did put Hendon Hooker there. Probably shouldn't, but I, I like the guy. What can I say? Would I be happy? Probably not, but I did like him. Uh, Sam Laporta. I kind of thought he'd be in the love, but he wasn't. But still, I like the guy a lot. Zach Charbonnet. Tyreek Stevenson. He's a corner, which nobody wants, but I do like him a lot. Joe Tipman, the center out of Wisconsin. Cedric Tillman, wide receiver. Big fan. Javon Dexter, actually, which I was surprised. I really like the defensive tackle. Luke Whippler, the center, Sidney Brown, Blake Freeland, tackle, uh, Jalen Duncan, Duncan, Jalen Jones, Rashawn Johnson, Kendra Miller. Again, I don't know exactly how many of these are potentially second round, but Parker Washington, Israel Abanacanda, Andre Loshivas, Bryce Ford Wheaton, Moro Ojomo, and MJ Anderson. MJ is probably an undrafted free agent. Moro Ojomo, the defensive tackle, maybe. Um, as far as guys that are available that aren't necessarily on my list, but Certainly, uh, a lot of people would be excited about it. Um, Jaden Reed, this is ESPN's big board. They have they actually have Jonathan Mingo as the next best wide receiver. So there you go. But Jaden Reed, wide receiver. Jalen Hyatt is still there. I know Packer fans would do several backflips. Um, I would I would certainly come around to it. At this point, it's very similar to uh, Lucas Van Ness. I get it, but I'm just not there. Uh, Marvin Mims, Josh Downs, Nate. Tank Dell, Tyler Scott, all, all those wide receivers still there. Um, as far as tight ends, not a big Luke Musgrave fan, but he's still there. So you got Mayer, Musgrave, Washington, Laporta, Tucker Craft, Brenton Strange, Luke Schoonmaker, all still available. Uh, Matthew Bergeron, not my guy, but tackle, still there. Tyler Steen out of Alabama, 
I thought I kind of like Steen. Maybe not. I guess not. But the bottom line is, as far as pass catchers go, I mean, all the tight ends are there. First of all, that's freaking amazing. But you've also got, again, Jonathan Mingo, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, Josh Downs. Josh Downs, I thought, was a little bit goofy, but a lot of people like him. There's so many pass catchers. And it's, it's not impossible at all that they come away with a wide receiver and a... Th- I'm sorry. I just, I just imagined them getting Jonathan Mingo, and I had a freaking heart attack. Use that third-round pick, go up and get Jonathan Mingo, and then let uh, Mr. Sam Laporta just fall to you. It wouldn't be that hard, because there's four of them. There's Michael Mayer. As far as the order that ESPN has it, Michael Mayer's the best. Then Luke Musgrave, which is ridiculous. Then Darnell Washington, then Sam Laporta. If it falls that way and we get, oh, you have no idea. It always sucks having to go through the rest of the second round and go into the third round with nothing. I mean, it's just a long time sitting there, but I will I will deal with it, especially since we all know the third round curse. But anyways, I'm going to let you guys get out of here. Uh, had an absolute blast. Thank you so much to everybody that joined. If, if you don't know where I'm at or having any trouble, just reach out. Um, I'm a little bit slow because I've got so much stuff going on uh, trying to coordinate the stream, but... Um, I will eventually see your message and we'll, um, you know, but have a good night. I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.